0: my name is tutanka or wolf this is bands of turtle island it's been a little while a month since I last talked to y'all uh, and I'm really sorry about that uh, just I, I feel bad and it's actually it's been almost two months um, but sort of like I wanted to take the time to explain what happened Before we go into this episode Because this episode was long promised on Twitter And should have been out back in October uh, And that just never happened So um, I just wanted to explain that We're going to be back in full swing Hopefully soon We have a new co-host Kajit is no longer associated with the show Uh, And that is why today we bring you An interview that should have been released forever ago. I finally edited. it. I added these supplemental parts. Uh, so I hope everybody enjoys the interview. Uh, wanted to let everyone know that this isn't like a radical, this is just a regular social stem from Berkeley, uh, just an indigenous fighting for a radical cause because it's pretty easy to see justice. You know, what is the just thing to do? Uh, so I hope everybody can get the same value out of the conversation as I got from having it. Um, and I, unfortunately, I'm not going to jump right into the interview. Uh, we're going to bre- begin, actually, with a n- brief from uh Ono Hulu Hulu, um, who, if you listen to Citation Needed, uh, these are the same media people that released it. Um, well, we're on there. Well, they had a hand in the project that, we're about to play. Think it's important to uh, play this so we can sort of have an idea of the material conditions that monarchy is in. And um just to have a little more context uh going into the interview for those who are a little uninitiated. Our friends and we have offered the trails of Mona
1: And then the evening's sweet come home and see her stand. Aloha mai kako. I have a statement to begin. Over the past week, the Kia'i at Pu'uhonua o Pu'uhuluhulu have remained vigilant in our commitment to protect Mauna Kea in Kapu Aloha. Adding to the already stressful conditions and amidst rumors of an impending raid, we are now also having to address potential incidents of both public and covert police harassment and agitation. Today, we're bringing forth related evidence of what may be criminal misconduct on the part of a law enforcement officer. Despite this, we continue to remain in Kapu Aloha, peace and nonviolence.
2: We believe that Hawaii State Law Enforcement at Hulu may be attempting to agitate protectors and incite discord and possibly violence through the use of the following tactics. 1. Sobriety checkpoints using the Special Response Team and possibly state sheriffs along with Department of Transportation barricades on multiple nights, including this past Sunday night on the Daniel K. Inouye Highway. Two. State sheriffs lining trucks along the road above the cattle guard on the Mauna Kea Access Road shining their high beams on the Kupuna tent at 1 a.m. on Monday, September 9th and Tuesday, September 10th. 3. A Black Hawk helicopter flying low level over the Kupuna tent on Tuesday, September 10th. 4. Unnecessary desecration of the Hawaiian flag on September 6th. 5. Governor Ige's press conference on September 12th alleging damage to native plants by Kia'i and September 13th alleging cyberbullying. We believe that these tactics employed by law enforcement officers and the highest ranking state officials are deliberate attempts to create conflict among the protectors and exacerbate tensions with law enforcement. These tactics demonstrate that the state is not acting in good faith. In addressing the conflict, and is instead working against principles of nonviolence and and aloha in a manner that puts the safety of protectors and the general public at risk. In addition, we have evidence that a law enforcement officer may have purposefully shared disinformation with a protector in an alleged attempt to incite mistrust and discord between specific individuals in the Pu'uhonua. We believe that this incident may qualify as criminal police misconduct. We have two individuals here with us today who are first-hand witnesses, who are prepared to share their personal interactions with the officer in question. We will not be sharing the name of the officer in order to protect the safety of the individual. Aloha, my name is Kaho'okahi Kanuha. On the morning of August 19th, I engaged in a conversation with a law enforcement officer. This officer expressed to me that they felt that Mikey Glendon, who is here standing next to me, was a problem and, according to them, a liability uh, for all individuals in the Pu'uhonua, and that we should do what is necessary to have this individual
3: removed from the Pu'uhonua. Aloha my kākou, I'm Mikey Glendon. On September 4th, I was served with a notice to remove our Kanaka Knowledge Learning Center, which I took part in. Um, September 6th, which is two days prior, 48 hours, the building was forcefully removed. Two days following that incident, I was approached by a police officer whom I met in private, and I asked him, why was it such an abrupt situation where they demolished our learning center? His response to me was that they received a phone call from Pu'uhuluhulu that stated, I was in the learning center with a gun, with children, ready to shoot it out with the police with respect that I'm protecting the children. That is false. Two days following that conversation, a phone call was made to me by this officer, and he stated that he had some intel that it came from within the Pu'uhulu Hulu community. So a follow-up third conversation, the officer stated two names from within our Pu'uhulu Hulu community, Noi Noi and Earl, who are alleged people who called in and stated that I was in our Kanaka Knowledge Learning Center with a gun with children. Aloha mai. I'm Earl De Leon. This is my sweetheart, Noinoi Kekaulua. Uh, I'm here today to um, state that we would never, never, ever do something as irresponsible as that to call in and make a false statement that Mr. Glendon here was in a house with children armed with a gun. Um, to protect the children at his library at Puuluhulu, We would never make a false claim to jeopardize the security of our our community here at Puuluhulu. It's irresponsible and unacceptable.
2: First, for the media, as stated before, we do not support releasing personal information to the public. Therefore, we will not be releasing the officer's name in this press conference. We have one video and two audio recordings between Mr. Glendon and the officer in question. These recordings corroborate Mr. Glendon's testimony. We are willing to share these files with law enforcement for investigative purposes. We will also make these files available to the media. We ask that the media use the information responsibly. Second, as conveyed by Mr. Kanuha and Mr. Glendon, a particular special response team officer encouraged Mr. Kanuha to remove Mr. Glendon from the camp for being dangerous and for being a liability. While on the other hand, the same officer provided confidential information to Mr. Glendon designed to provoke Mr. Glendon and put Mr. DeLeon and his partner, Miss Kekalua at risk. The information provided to Mr. Glendon by the officer accusing Mr. DeLeon and Miss Kekalua of informing law enforcement about Mr. Glendon barricading himself in the building with a gun and children is one, inconsistent with the manner in which law enforcement responded to the building on the day of the removal, two, if in fact true, had the potential to put Mr. DeLeon and his partner at risk, and three, if false, could only be intended to provoke Mr. Glendon to retaliation. A review of law enforcement action on September 6 indicates that the officers did not approach the building as if it were barricaded with a gunman inside. The video coverage shows that one, the special response team did not take the lead on the operation. Two, the officers lined up with their backs facing the structure as if the threat were from the crowd, not from within the structure. Three, the officers were equipped with riot control gear including four foot long batons. In no way did law enforcement appear prepared to confront a gunman with children. Although a small perimeter was cleared around the structure. There were a number of people watching nearby as the officers entered and eventually dismantled the structure, who would have been at risk if an armed gunman was indeed present. If information about a purported tip by Mr. DeLeon were true, the officer violated confidentiality by revealing what should have been an anonymous informant, exposing that informant to the very person informed upon. Revealing that kind of information puts informants at risk. We know, however, that neither Mr. DeLeon nor Ms. Kekawalua made such a call. Mr. DeLeon knows that the kind of false information provided would have triggered a law enforcement response that could have placed the entire Pu'uhonua at risk. Mr. DeLeon is here today to stand in solidarity with everyone involved in this incident to refute the police allegations against him. It is clear that the information provided to Mr. Glendon was intended to provoke a confrontation between him and other individuals in the Pu'uhonua, particularly Mr. DeLeon. The officer was aware of and confirmed that Mr. Glendon and Mr. DeLeon had a previous confrontation. We believe that providing that kind of information to Mr. Glendon several days after the removal of the building could only have been intended to incite a confrontation. What we do not know is whether the officer was acting individually or whether his actions were part of a concerted strategy by the Hawaii County Police Department or whether his actions were part of a larger coordinated interagency law enforcement strategy. If the officer was in fact acting under orders, then the only apparent purpose would have been to provoke an incident that would justify law enforcement action to clear the Pu'uhonua. Taken in conjunction with increased police activity in and around the Pu'uhonua, The officer's conduct leads us to believe that it is possible that the state and county of Hawaii are purposefully engaging in subversive tactics designed to increase tensions, agitate protectors to violence, and challenge our commitment to Kapu Aloha. We call upon the proper investigative authorities, including the FBI, or other agencies to address and investigate the current law enforcement strategy that appears to be aimed at misrepresenting our peaceful movement, possibly inciting conflict among those in the Puʻuhonua, placing all of us at risk, and leading the public to believe we are lawless and dangerous in order to justify the use of force to remove us. We are prepared to provide all evidence to the proper investigating authorities upon request. We also demand that the officer in question be removed from this police operation immediately as his actions are irresponsible and place all of us at risk. To our Lahu'i, these
1: allegations are very serious. We're hopeful that they are the work of a few individuals. However, only a complete and honest investigation will uncover the full scale of this operation. The actions of a few individuals who operate outside the spirit of aloha, do not represent us. Similarly, we do not believe that all law enforcement officers are part of a targeted strategy to undermine our movement. Many officers are ohana, neighbors and friends. Please do not react to this information with anything other than Kapu Aloha. These alleged police actions only serve to strengthen our resolve and commitment to Kapu Aloha. We will not be provoked. We will not be distracted from our purpose, which continues to be non-violent, peaceful protection of our sacred Mauna Kea. The safety of all of us protectors holding space on the Mauna depends on our collective ability to remain in Kapu Aloha.
0: I could be forgotten, and a thousand miles away. And
1: still I would recall, the beauty
0: of Mauna Kea. How Mittika me Mauglala, I'm Shungmana Tutanka. Uh, And today we have on an awesome guest.
4: Oh, hi. I am Bria Tennyson. Um, My Hawaiian name is Puaneni, and I come from the families of Aia and Kupau, from the islands of Molokai and Oahu.
0: Um, So we'll just sort of jump right into the questions. Uh, And mentioning the lineage line, uh, could you kind of explain, like, why that's important in, like, the islands and stuff, like Uh, (laughs) I don't understand a lot about the culture. So it's kind of a learning experience for me too.
4: Yes. Um, So I am a product of the diaspora. So my family um, could no longer afford to live in our homeland. And that's how we found ourselves on Turtle Island. And um, my mom has been the person who has been doing like the hard work in reestablishing the connection between us here on Turtle Island and our family in in the islands and in her research and reconnection um, we've been learning that lineage is a very very important thing so in our standard greetings like um, of course we greet everyone but we say which families we're from and um I guess like the western concept i can think of in comparison would be like how the scottish have clans so that's kind of like what our lineage is from our our practices are kind of similar um so when i say that i'm um from the aia coming from molokai that's like the aia family is pretty big and the island is specific so um just it's kind of like a way to call upon you know, kin, but also it's a pride thing. Um, But also genealogy is very important in Hawaii and it goes beyond, um, you know, being proud of where you come from. Unfortunately, it also has to tie to like land rights as well. So um, in Hawaii, we also had Americanization forced upon us and to, you know, to prove that we are Hawaiian enough we had to show our lineage and like blood quantum was a thing with us as well yeah so yeah being able to say like you know this is where I come from this is my family name um that also proves like how Hawaiian you are according to what the American government said that you are so that is a part of the deal (laughs) okay yeah mostly it is about pride though And I like to think of it as, like, we're still here. Like, we are still keeping our family lines going.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think that's a huge, like, part of most Native communities is just, like, there's almost a sense of, like, nationalism, you know, if you want to call Mm. it that. Where it's just, like, I'm just proud to still be here and not dead yet, you know?
4: (laughs) It's
1: yeah.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just think it's like it's a fundamentally different type of nationalism if you even want to characterize it that way. But it's like it's just about keeping the culture alive. You know, it's not about a race or anything like that. Wow, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: Um, exactly.
0: So, so as mm-hmm. an indigenous person, how does this heritage play a role in how you carry yourself within a political circles, like in within your day to day? Like, is there any ways you like pray or something that keeps you connected to your heritage or?
4: Um, well, I don't really know my language, which is also a part of the whole Americanization, um, forced upon us. And the fact that our, the kingdom of Hawaii is occupied and also being a child of the diaspora. Um, so my grandmother didn't know the language and then therefore my mom's generation and I didn't, but, um, I did learn one chant that I always call upon, and um, it's called Aho Mai. And um, basically it's calling upon the ancestors. And that's the my go-to prayer just because like it's easy to get lost in this world, especially um, being away from my people and being away from like our traditional practices. And um, it really helps center me. So like when I'm, you know, whatever environment I'm in, I try to remember that I am a representative of my family line, of my people, and in that it encompasses like all our values. And um, one of those values is uh, something that is very, very prominent with the Mauna Kea movement and it's Aloha Aina, and that is loosely translated to like love of the land. And that's like love of the environment, the water, the air, Um, the land as I said but also that translates to like you know everything that is on the land so it can also be um, uh, understood as respecting each other which is also another Hawaiian value which is kapu aloha so um, these while not prayers and chants they are um, very very important Hawaiian principles that I try to hold myself to whenever I enter any space, especially when it's like a politically, you know, contentious space. I have to hold myself in kapu aloha. I have to like listen to what the other person is saying. I don't have to agree with them, but I have to treat them as another human being. And that's, as we know, quite often lost in this time, day and time. But, um, yeah, so those are the things. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are chants, but they are something that connect me to my people and to who I, who I am as an Indigenous woman um, coming from um, Hawaii. No,
0: that's beautiful. I, I just trying to like relearn like uh, religious practices and stuff because I was removed from the reservation.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: just a little bit different of a situation going on, but uh, mm-hmm. I didn't get to like full on. indoctrinated culture rather it was like forced on Americanization as you describe it you know Mm -hmm. just being stripped of that culture systematically through schooling and stuff you know and so one of the chants I always hold on to is uh, the great uh, Spotted Eagle Invitations uh, and it just uh, song calling to the ancestors as well so I I think that's kind of uh, fitting for diaspora people
4: you know yeah Yeah. and I'm just so grateful that I know at least that one chant because it really does does help me remember who I am, who I come from, and what intentions I put out into the world as I go out through the day and do the work that I do. So I'm so really happy that as well. <laughs>
0: Speaking of the work you do, uh, you're the leader of the Water Protectors at Berkeley, is that correct? Or how um, would you describe your role? <laughs>
4: So I am the lead organizer. I try to um, have like a horizontal leadership, but um, essentially um, I am the leader for a group called the Mauna Kea Protectors at UC Berkeley, and we are a sister group to the Mauna Kea Protectors at the University of Hawaii, who are currently holding it down at their university. They lock themselves in, so there's a lockdown going on, and they are... So brave, and I am just so in awe of you know them taking a stand for our people and our culture. But um, yes, yeah, so I am basically an ally and the only um, Native Hawaiian leading this. I go to UC Berkeley, and in a population of I think it's forty thousand plus students. Um, The demographics are, for Native American students, less than 1%, and for Pacific Islander students, less than 0.2% of the population are Pacific Islander identifying, and that's not even all Hawaiians, that's all Pacific Islanders, and in my three years here at Cal, I've only met, I think, four other Native Hawaiians on campus, yeah, While we are a sister group to the Mauna Kea Protectors at University of Hawaii, um, I'm essentially the only Native Hawaiian um, to organize. And I'm really, really grateful because the students here who are supporting me and helping me you know, hold the University of California accountable for its complicity in the 30 meter telescope being built on Mauna Kea. These students aren't Native Hawaiian. Majority of them are Native American students and other indigenous identifying students, but also other students of color and students from other religious beliefs. So we have um, students who are Palestinian and students who are also Jewish. And it's just been a really interesting and I feel very fortunate, um, even though it's been really, really hard to be this organizer, but just to see the amount of solidarity that comes through from students, especially since I am—I um, started this stand on my own, and I was able to rally a group of students who all understood um, what's happening is uh, a violation of Indigenous peoples' rights. That's, that's
0: honestly incredible, just yeah. the, the incredible support that you could get, especially just starting this by yourself. Did you have any like organizational experience before you started this
4: or like in terms of activism? I yeah. was. Yeah, um, I was I don't have any experience in this. I'm usually the person who helps support people who organize um. You know, movements. So I'll be there with my sign. And the only thing that I like, the only thing that's getting me through this because of my lack of experience is one um, the studies that I've been doing about um, uh, learning about social movements in, in post war America. Um, but also, I'm just kind of approaching this as like, a big student group project <laughs> where the goal is information sharing that leads to divestment on the TMT on Mount Ikea. But this has been um, a wild ride so far. Luckily, I have been trained in a way to like, look at this as like, it's just a group project, but it's it's really intense and it's really different. But in terms of did I have any training or am I prepared or do I have any experience with organizing at this scale at an institution such as UC Berkeley? The answer is a definite no. (laughs) I I don't. (laughs) don't.
0: (laughs) Oh man. So, uh, (laughs) I'm just wondering, like, uh, how would you describe your politics? Like, do you have like a specific tendency or like who are your influences, you know, and do you have any reading recommendations as far as like, uh, People can learn from it, okay?
4: (laughs) Um, That I'm still learning, but I would say like on the general scale, like what my personal politics is, uh, or are, um, is people power, that the power belongs to the people, so, and it's like very, very, uh, very, very fitting that I'm living in Berkeley slash uh, the East Bay, where a lot of that took place here. So
0: Yeah, the Republicans would call it uh, the communist California, right? <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. So like I said um, uh, in our previous conversation, um, learning a lot about uh, the left here, I grew up in a family that was um, very, uh, military style. So (laughs) definitely didn't get this type of education until I got here to Berkeley. And of course, Berkeley being Berkeley, and it really has opened up my eyes and this whole like new political, um, movement, especially with the DSA, um, very, very, you know, attracted to the, what Socialism stands for it. And um, in my history studies, I'm a history major, learning about like the different social movements that came through here that are deeply, deeply steeped in that. Um, so again, I feel very, very fortunate to be here at this time and also to be learning in this area. Um, I've got a lot to learn and i very, very open and very excited to learn more.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> honestly fitting that people like you and Richard Oakes are both coming from Berkeley, you know?
4: <laughs> I know it is very interesting very interesting times too and like um the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Alcatraz and all this stuff that's happening right now like that being like student-led as well and you know Black Panthers also it's just as I'm learning this stuff in my history classes and through my research I'm just I, I can take a step back and just like look at what my life is right now. I'm like, wow, I've really become my research. Um, (laughs) But it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Uh,
0: So speaking of the 30 meter telescope and the work you do with activism and stuff, uh, could you explain like what the telescope is and what it's going to be used for if they try to build it there?
4: Yes. So um, this, it's really interesting because yes, this movement to protect Mauna Kea, which is um, a sacred space site for native Hawaiians and not just native Hawaiians, but the people of Oceania. Mauna Kea um, uh, shows up in their mythology and their religious beliefs as well. Um, But for us native Hawaiians, Mauna Kea is the site of our creation story. Um, And uh, again, like I didn't grow up uh, in hawaii actually i should mention that before so i was born and raised in nisanan territory which is known today um in pop culture as sacramento california so that's where i grew up and um getting uh learning about my hawaiian culture through like you know cultural practitioners who come through sacramento mm-hmm. but going back to our creation story which um originates on Mount kea the stories that I have been told is that this is where our um, um, it's really interesting. I was just talking to somebody and there's um, comparing their, their religious beliefs to the their creation story, like the big bang, it's kind of similar to what happened at Mauna Kea for us and our beliefs. Um, we say that that's the site where the sun sep- or the sky separated from the ocean and the land. And then I had an auntie who told me that this is also where the first Kanaka Maoli, the first native Hawaiian um, was born. And the story goes that um, Sky father and Sky mother had um, a child and unfortunately that child was stillborn and they buried the child um, to honor it on Mount Achaia. And that child became Kalo, which is Taro and that's our staple food. Um, So that was the first like child to be born um, or uh, I guess nature or a natural thing to be born on Mount Achaia, which is essential to us as a people. And, um, so sky father and um, star mother had a second child and that child was the first Kanaka Maholi. So in our belief system, as with most indigenous um, peoples is that, um, we have a kinship with the environment. So this is like, again, like I said, where we love the land. And I had, um, uh, a Hawaiian sister here in the Bay area. Um, she says, uh. You know, when we refer to Mauna Kea, it's not like what mountain, it's who, mount, whose mountain, like who is that mountain? Who is your water? So we um, she also said, like, who feeds you? And in our culture, we say our brother feeds us um, because of that first uh, taro plant. So that is like the significance, like the original significance of Mauna Kea. There's so much ceremony and um you know, we have shrines up there. Um, some of our ancestors are buried up there. It's just a very, very sacred space. So this is why we're protecting it. Now, the 30-meter telescope, that is not even the the first telescope to be uh, – well, it's not built on it, and it won't be built on it, but because uh, we will not let it happen. But there are already 13 telescopes on Mount Kea, and this has to go with, like, the whole, like – settler colonial history that's happened to Hawaii. So like when Hawaii became a state uh, 60 years ago in 1959, the state mismanaged our sites. So first they um, said like, we'll only build one telescope. And this is like through the University of Hawaii and the native Hawaiians who never really wanted the telescope on there said, okay, one telescope is fine. And this is like a trend within the Hawaiian people. Like, and it goes back to that whole kapo aloha thing. Like we're very respectful and we try to be reasonable with people, but um, this is just like a history of state mismanagement. So the state said one telescope and then they said, okay, only three telescopes. Now, fast forward to 2019, we have 13 telescopes. Not all of them are functioning. And um, this 30-meter telescope is going to be bigger than any of them. And to conceptualize what the scope of this type of structure, um, it is going to be 18 stories tall and at least two stories below ground. And we like, yeah, exactly. Until like... um, to anchor such a structure, you have to like cause so much trauma to a very fragile ecosystem. And although it's like a non-habitable space, uh, Mount Kea is also a watershed. So when we're protecting Mauna Kea, we're not just protecting our site, we're just protecting water. And like it's hand in hand. And that's what it like. I just spoke to a group of people about, um, environmental rights and how indigenous sovereignty needs to be at the forefront of that. And that's because whenever we say we're protecting our sacred sites, that's inherently tied to our environment. And the fact that, you know, media tends to like focus on different things. And um, when it comes to like, you know, protecting the environment, they really need to focus on, you know, what it is that Indigenous people have always been doing, like, you know, to this day, (laughs) um, from Standing Rock to uh, the Bayou Bridge um, pipeline and, you know, holding Enbridge accountable for line three, like, this is what we're, we're protecting when we say we're protecting sacred sites. And that kind of goes back to like this whole 30 meter telescope, like we are protecting our sacred site, but we're also protecting the watershed. And yeah, people don't see it that way. I've had someone say, you know, the native Hawaiians are being selfish in not allowing the 30 meter telescope to be built, that they are impeding in the progress of knowledge. And that like they said that to my face and it blew me away.
0: There was an NBC article that's this was the exact headline. Um, <laughs> Uh, Native activism is holding up telescope progress that could lead to alien life. And (laughs) I thought it was outstanding that they put potential aliens ahead of people who lived here on Earth. Like, It's astounding what white people are willing to say. I
4: know. I know. I know. It's like like I said, I'm. I am not an activist by training. I'm learning um, as I go and I'm getting a lot of heat. Um, I was asked to speak at the climate strike at UC Berkeley and it was well received until it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little table and um, my, uh, my friends who are from that indigenous and native coalition, they were helping me, uh, you know, answer questions and let people know what's going on. And we had, and I hate to be that person, but just stating facts we had three older white people come to the table and they were so aggressive and they did not check their white privilege like they were so oblivious to it and um, yeah so my friends tried their best to kind of uh, uh, educate them on why protecting Manakea is important and um, it just came to the point where they had to talk to the one Hawaiian. So that being me. And of course, it's like the brown woman of color taking our um, uh, indigenous woman taking on the emotional labor to do this. But yes, this woman was just like drilling me on like, what's the elevation going to be? You can hardly see that other telescope and all these things. And I'm like, it's not even about the fact that you can or cannot see it. It's the fact that it's on this sacred site. And just getting that kind of feedback. Like someone even thought it would be, um, uh, you know, okay to tell me to my face that Native Hawaiians and protecting our sacred site, that we are acting like a white nationalists And I was just like, oh. oh my God. Yeah, I was so stunned. I had to like check out after that. And that's just kind of like, you know, I had to engage in Kapu Aloha. I kept on, you know, trying to like, make him understand. Trying to have to punch him. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have not, but oh my gosh, it like, I maybe slap. Oh, but, maybe
0: slap.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also had, uh, I had told him like, you know, the people who are supporting the TMT, they are, uh, and that's the 30 meter telescope, They are prioritizing, like they care more about a building than they do about the will of the people. And then he threw it back in my face and saying like, no, the Native Hawaiians are caring more about a building knowledge. And I'm like, like, how do you even engage with that? And it's like I had to tell them, you know, we are not anti-science and we're definitely not anti-astronomy. Like our people, like the people of Oceania, like how we got to where we got all the way all to like what's now called Easter Island, but Rapa Nui for us. Like we did that through setting the stars and like people forget that. So we love astronomy, like the Hokulea, like learning how to or relearning how we navigated and how we use wayfinding to um you know, navigate the big, big Pacific Ocean. So it's like that, like, quote, unquote, accidental racism, like that always happens to indigenous people where they're like, oh, they don't know how to use the land property. They can't see the potential and what this would do. Um, it's just like, it blows my mind. And I'm like, again, we're not anti-science. We are for science. We are for astronomy. We're just Anti an eighteen story building on our sacred site. We're anti desecration. Well, and yeah, like,
0: is there not another place this telescope
4: could go? Or uh, yes. So, Mount Kea is the preferred site for the thirty meter telescope to be built. And I, I guess I didn't go into like the specifics. Like who's 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 wanting the thirty meter telescope? And. Um, It's basically an international coalition or partnership of universities that are coming from China, Japan, India, Canada and the United States. But in the United States, it's very central or like localized in California. So the universities that are pushing for it are uh, Caltech and the University of California, California. with UC Berkeley at this as one of the spearheads and UC Santa Barbara and UC Santa Cruz. Yeah. And, um, Stanford is also involved as well because of the Gordon and Betty Moore foundation. They are the ones who had pledged the most money. I think it was 200 million to this project. And again, it's like, um, their preferred site just because they're all Pacific rim, basically institutions is, uh, Mount Ikea because it's in the middle of the Pacific and I get it. I get it. Like, um, Hawaii is isolated. Um, you don't have a lot of air pollution or air traffic. Like from a logical uh, sense, I understand the reasoning for why they it on Mauna Kea. But what it comes down to is like, when the people have said no, you gotta recheck your priorities. Are you gonna build upon oppression or are you going to live up to, well, at least for the University of California, like we like to say like, oh, we stand by human rights, but this is a clear vision human rights, especially indigenous rights, um, that needs to be questioned again. So Mauna Kea is just the preferred site, but plan B is um, the Canary Islands, which Spain has welcomed the project. But even before I say like uh, the Canary Islands, there's a lot going on with like what the TMT would be on the Canary Islands. One, the Canary Islands being also a product of or like a victim of settler colonialism um so basically there are other sites upon which the 30 meter telescope can be built upon but these universities really need to check themselves on are they building on oppression (laughs) and uh in this case with mauna kea they definitely are just last weekend um people in Hawaii took to the streets, marched on the streets. I think it was like 10,000 people on Waikiki. And like people are trying to say, oh, there's only a small group of people who oppose the 30 meter telescope on Mount Ikea. I think uh, last weekend was a definite wake up call. So yes, they need to reconsider and look at their other options. But when they're looking at their other options, they need to learn from what's happening on Mount Ikea. And include the people in the dialogue of what happens. And they also knew that this was going to happen 10 years ago, I think, um, or maybe it was eight. There was like a report saying that if they built on Mount Kea, they would get backlash. They just, I don't think they, um, they believed that, or they didn't know the scope of which Um, or what would happen, that Native Hawaiians would love their land so much.
0: So when was uh, the 30-meter telescope uh, announced compared to like DAPL? Because you would think with the Mm. DAPL protests, they'd slow down.
4: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So from my understanding, um, this battle has been – uh going on for 10 years now so that would be 2009 i want to say it was 2008 that they said they're going to build on mount ikea and uh, the native hawaiians have effectively like blocked any type of progress so in like 2015 which is very interesting because of the timing with a like standing rock um they were the native hawaiians were able to uh bring the TMT to court because of like permits that they didn't properly fill out. So they have been defending Mauna Kea for a long time. Um, But in terms of like this whole conception of the 30 meter telescope, I don't know, it just seems to be like one of those things where non-Indigenous people, I should say, um, especially people who don't care about people of color, just kind of think of these things. Um, and just say we're going to do this.
0: But, yeah. I, I have a friend who's going for his PhD, and he's always uh, compare. he always uh, says academia is inherently white supremacist, <laughs> like uh, just because of the foundations of a lot of the scientific schooling and stuff. And so I think uh, just what we see with the TM TMT going on, like mm-hmm. the fact that it's not for profit, even yeah, it's what settler colonialism is willing to do for Mm. their projects is terrifying. You know, it's, it's makes me scared and makes me want to get a gun. I don't really like guns. So it's like, (laughs) I'm just terrified because of like the militias and stuff going on in the Southwest and stuff. It's just like, when, when is this coming to my area?
4: (laughs) I know. But with, with that, like, like even with this uh, situation with, the TMT, like at UC Berkeley, it's divided. I'm really, really uplifted by the fact, like, again, the students who are coming to my aid, they're not even Native Hawaiian, and some of them aren't even Indigenous identifying, but they, they understand why it's wrong, and that's why they're making this stand. Uh, We had a petition go around, and in like two days, two or three days, we had 2000 signatures from the people within the UC Berkeley community. And then there was another petition. And this is a petition to say, you know, holding our university accountable for its complicity and its involvement in this. Although our chancellor said, we're not involved. Your fight is with the University of California. She did a really good job at kind of deflecting that kind of um, accountability. But in that, like, despite this institution being what it is and it being a research institution. So people love the TMT students and faculty and staff and, you know, students, parents, like they understand that this is wrong. And if there's other options, this is very, very, very wrong. So um, when, you know, dark things happen, I, I, I'm, Oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. I'm thinking of that Mr. Rogers quote where <laughs> he is like in times of crisis or whatever, look for the helpers. Okay. So that's what gets me through. So uh, maybe I'm just a little too optimistic and idealistic, but um, yeah, I'm really, really grateful for all of the support um, from the UC community that I've been getting, um, even though it may seem like a fraction of what it needs to be in order to get the University of California to back down. But um, yeah, this whole kind of like settler colonial entitlement that academia seems to have, I'm really um, uh, encouraged, inspired, um, maybe even empowered by the fact that there are students who are like me, but maybe not the same, you know, uh, culture, um, who will hold the university accountable for what it's doing? And it's like, it's not just about Mauna Kea. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a student organization that um, protested Palantir coming to have an info se- session at our campus. And Palantir, as a lot of us know, is uh, helping ICE with technology. So we shut that down. That's so, awesome. yeah, I'm just like, so there are the students who don't care and like who are definitely like filling um, the role of, you know, settler colonial academia. But then there are the students here who are like, nope, not on our not in our university. So. So, so how is the uh,
0: government reacting to the protests? You know, in DAPL, we saw water hoses being reused in hypothermic conditions, yeah. attack dogs, rubber bullets. You know, that's where I got radicalized. So it's like, mm-hmm. what's going on there? Is there anything like that? Or is it still pretty mild? You know,
4: um, it is still pretty mild. And I think it's because. I want to say because of Standing Rock, what's very interesting is that the Kiai, the protectors on Mauna Kea, especially our uh, Meta Kui, so the Mauna Kea Meta which are the medics who are volunteering to be there in the event that something really bad happens. And like just to take care of our elders who are not leaving um, their position and blocking the access road, but th- there, the people on Mount Ikea, they actually trained with those um, on standing rock. So during standing rock, they were there as well. And um, when I was on Mount Ikea, I, um, at the beginning of September and I was just like talking story with people, especially the indigenous uh, 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 volunteers there. And they were just saying things like, you know, this is in terms of how the government's reacting, um, like governor Ige's tactics in trying to make um, the protectors seem like really bad people. He said things like, Oh, they're doing drugs up there, (laughs) drinking. Yes. So that's why. Um,
0: so they're cool people. I like it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's why I brought up kapu aloha um, before, and that is a, a the principle that we this movement is being um, being conducted under. So kapu, um, loosely translated, means sacred. So we say sacred mountain, sacred conduct. So kapu aloha means sacred conduct. Um, so that really kind of just backfired in the governor's face because, well, one, with the uh, the use of technology, we're able to show what's happening on Mauna Kea. And they've created the first free Native Hawaiian university um, at Puhulu Hulu. And it's really, really amazing. Um, the people who are protecting Mauna Kea, like the governor was like, oh, these are people who are jobless and, you know, they have nothing better to do they're just troublemakers but you have like not just cultural pr- practitioners but you have professors up there teachers up there so they created this university where you know people can learn the history and uh, the the culture and uh, really really interesting there was a class on socialism too up there <laughs> uh, it was really really cool to see that i learned a, a, a little bit of hawaiian history up there so like the governor's uh a campaign to smear um uh the beautiful, beautiful movement that's happening there. It's a revitalization like of Hawaiian culture and pride, which um has has always been there, but hasn't been as like, you know, robust as it had been in the 70s, which I am very, very proud to tell like my native um friends that um and this also goes back to me studying history and social movements. So how like the American Indian movement was inspired by, you know, the black civil rights movement, African-American civil rights movement. Like we had our own that was basically inspired by both the American Indian movement and the African-American movement and our Renaissance. And that's where in Hawaii, what we're seeing now in Mauna Kea is basically that two version 2.0, the reason we're able to do what we're doing is because of that movement. And that movement, um, we fought for uh, um, the protection of our sacred island, Koho'olawe, where the the U.S. military was using it as a bomb site. And we got the U.S. to, like, stop bombing it. Um, but also, it brought back the language. So they fought for languages, or the Hawaiian language which had which had been outlawed and forbidden to be spoken um because of Americanization. Was that we like got- along with the DAS Act or Oh I have no idea. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Sorry yeah. i sidetracked.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh but yeah, so the um the Hawaiian Renaissance, like that was a big, big thing. And, you know, being a historian and especially studying like social movements and civil rights, like it's very, very um, interesting to me, but also inspiring to see like this lineage of like people of color um, being there in solidarity for each other, but also inspiring each other. And I kind of like look at what happened um, at Standing Rock and what's happening in Mauna Kea as like, a continued legacy of, you know, indigenous solidarity. And that's something that, um, like, um, at the beginning of September, I went to this conference um, by the Indigenous Peoples Power Project. And it was the first time that I had been in, I was the only Native Hawaiian there, um, but been around or been in an environment where I didn't have to explain why Mauna Kea is important and why I have to defend it and, like, the cultural values. And it was just... so freeing yeah I it was such I can't even explain it it was like a different world and I to this day I miss that four four day conference because I was so empowered and inspired a lot of the participants were at Standing Rock and continue to fight for um you know indigenous rights and yeah it's just amazing (laughs) I know I went on (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's all right uh, Oh, so I guess uh, speaking of like um, just to go on along with this topic uh, there was the elders who were arrested uh, could you speak more on that and like explain that situation a little more or
4: mm. so <laughs> I guess as the historian in me and I guess like someone who like thinks of strategy but um when So what had happened was um the court of Hawaii had given the green light for the TMT to start construction. And I believe that was July 15th. So the Kiai, the protectors, had mobilized and they started blocking the main access road up Mauna Kea. And on um, July 16th, that's when the elders came and they had made their stance that they were not going to move um, and they were not going to let the um, the the construction trucks to go up. So they were ready by um, the morning of July 17th. So it was very like um, instantaneous and very well organized Um I have a friend here at UC Berkeley who's also Native Hawaiian, and he was there on July 17th when our kupuna, our elders, were arrested, and I wasn't even there, and I saw the video, and I just burst into tears because, like, that's our elders. They were so fearless, and they did it for us. They held the line. They got arrested. They said, you know we will be the ones to be arrested so there are like a lot of young people there are people able-bodied um young and you know someone who could take being in a jail jail cell um and our elders were like no we're doing this and we already like they didn't even, like just the action of doing it you know that they're doing that for you that's their kuleana And um, kuleana is also another Hawaiian principle that uh, we really hold strongly to. And it's like um, loosely translated as responsibility. So that's like, not like everyday responsibility. It's like a responsibility to your family, to your ancestors, to the next generations, to the land. So that, all of that was playing on that day. So it was very emotionally intense. There was um, a lot of heavily, armed police there. And there was like, even like talks of maybe the National Guard was going to be deployed. But um, 38, I believe, of our elders were arrested that day for not moving off the road. And it was July 17th that mobilized all of us. So if someone like me, who is one, an introvert, two, not uh, trained for activism. I knew that I had to do my kuleana, my responsibility as a UC Berkeley student to protect Mauna Kea. So July 17th is always going to be like a big big thing for hawaiian people and it's because our elders led the way as our elders always do and they did it with such you know because they were they mandated that we act in kapu aloha because we are on mauna kea which is sacred so sacred mountain sacred conduct and it's not just sacred conduct when you're on the mountain it's sacred conduct wherever you go you have to hold yourself to that principle to those uh for us to that mandate um, set by our elders. And um, that's how I found myself in this journey. So, yeah, that happened. And it was really, really, like, really emotional to see. I was very close to my grandmother, uh, my late grandmother. So I just imagined her sitting there because if she could, she would have. And I knew why she would have done it, too, because she's doing it for not just me, but for our lineage, our name lines going down in the future. So when we talk about the TMT, like people tend to just focus on like the 30 meter telescope and this building, but it is, it is more than just, it's, it's really not about the telescope. It's about indigenous sovereignty. It's about respecting and preserving our cultural ways and, um, as our country is occupied and we've been subjected to Americanization. So like when we see our elders do this and they are the same elders who were our age during the Hawaiian Renaissance, um, it's just, you know, our kuleana to uh, follow their example. So with the students at the University of Hawaii right now holding it down, Um, to the students here in the Bay Area, um, from Stanford to UC Berkeley, even all the way in UCLA. Um, And it's very, very inspiring because it's like not just Native Hawaiians, it's also other Pacifica peoples who know what's going on. Like they feel that because that's our elders and we're protecting something that is, um, that they tried to take away from us. So it's like Pacifica people, indigenous people um, when the Kapuna had gotten arrested purposefully on the seventeenth, that was an a, like a call. And many of us answered that call. And many of us um, from different cultures as well. so
0: so do you are they still in jail? Or? No, so okay. they
4: were, Yeah, they're okay. They're okay now. They did have to go to court. Um, so recently they just had their cases um, brought up and um, they were like not guilty. Uh, they said that they're not guilty. So of course, like, however it gets ruled out, like even the fact that they were arrested and they had to go to court, like that is that is not, that is like, I would say n- n- not the most important thing. The most important thing is that they did it, and they returned to Mount Kea. So they are not going away. And this is something that they're teaching us as well: that when you make a stand, there's no turning back. When you're protecting your people, when you're t- protecting your culture, it's a it's a lifetime <laughs> commitment. And um, yeah, just so uh, inspiring. But they're they're okay for the most part. They are so fierce, and I wish when I. Um, become a kapuna as well, that I will be as fearless and as brave, courageous, and wise as they are. Um, Definitely got a good start on it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't know, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I think that's a natural stopping point as far as like the real interview goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just wanted to ask you a a throwaway question just for Mm -hmm. something funny. Uh, have you paid attention to the, the 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 Dior Savage crap? Oh
4: my God. You would think, right? You would think that after all these years, after everything that they would know better, right? And on top of that Johnny Depp being involved in this, I was like, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Every Are time
0: you- I see his name, it's always accompanied with indigenous stuff. and it just really makes me mad. <laughs>
4: I know, I'm like, gosh, you're definitely a box checker, sir. I mean, he's problematic to begin with, but seriously, I cannot believe, like, I cannot, really, I cannot.
0: I imagine yep. he's tried to go into the IHS before.
4: <laughs> oh, just
0: to say he's been there. <laughs>
4: yeah, I, I wouldn't put that above him. And I'm just like, whatever, Johnny.
0: <laughs> and so I was also curious, what are, like, indigenous Hawaiian people's, like, thoughts on Moana? Like, is, is that a good movie or like this as far as culturally representative goes or
4: um I, this goes for like indigenous um people of oceania to, uh, it's a hit and miss like we'll pick and choose there are some things we're like hmm that's definitely problematic and disney doing stuff but i think it's what i really like about moana and I, i've heard this echoed as well it's like For a lot of people, like, we knew this, but they didn't know this, like, the fact that um, ancient uh, Pacifica wayfinding, like, people understanding, like, oh, wow, you know, the Pacific Islanders, they were experts at navigating the oceans and stuff, like, that was pretty cool, so I'll give them that. Um, But it it kind of, like, you know, they kind of took all of the um, cultures of Oceania and, like, put it all together as Disney would. Like, like Pocahontas. <laughs> I, was, I was about to go there. <laughs> yeah. So I give them props for showcasing, you know, um, our, our cultural uh, navigation and things that um, we're very proud of that people, you know, as people of color, you know, people just tend to think like, oh, they can never do anything great, which is really, really, Terrible, but um, it's like the Aliens line, <laughs> yeah. We got to win that time, and I did like the story in terms of like you know, a very strong, empowered um, young woman, so that was cool. No love interest, it was just her and her journey, so they get props for that. But in terms of like cultural representation, mm, maybe a B, but uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's generous, <laughs>
4: very nice. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'd probably put like Pocahontas at of like a C, you know, <laughs> especially yeah. with the love interest. <laughs>
4: oh gosh, that's, that's a, yeah.
0: That's a little bit of a gross misinterpretation of the history there, that's for sure.
4: Yeah, oh my gosh, yes.
0: Um, so as far as that goes, how can like listeners help? Is, is there any way they, they can participate in like uh, sharing a message or a website they can donate to?
4: Do you have, like, a
0: Patreon or something?
4: (laughs) Yes, and I'm just like, of course I don't have it with me. I've been so, like, UC Berkeley focused on, like... So what UC Berkeley is doing is we're doing a letter campaign to the UC president, who is Janet Napolitano, and basically just telling her, you need to do the right thing and get the University of California to stand down from Mount Achaia. So that's, like one of the actions we're doing but um in terms of like uh i'm trying to find uh the website there um puhulu hulu is uh and that's really hard to spell i can't spell it right now my brain cells um uh, midterms they've taken that me um that is a really great resource and one just learning about what's going on in um on Mauna Kea but they also have like links to where you can donate to um uh you know the Mauna Kea Medic Hui so like things for um uh the medics to help uh keep the elders who are up there safe and comfortable and there's also the Hawaii Gel um jail jail belt or Hawaii Bail Fund that people can donate to as well. Um, Mauna Kea isn't the only site that we're protecting. Um, Right now, there's um, a really, really powerful um, campaign to protect Sherwood, um, which is a site that is being bulldozed over and our ancestors are buried there. So, um, yeah, um, there are people who are arrested for also blocking um, uh, construction or you know, so there's a lot going on, but hulu, hulu. And, um, oh my gosh, I really, I'm terrible. Protect Mauna Kea is also another website as well. We'll link everything in the show
1: notes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just like send it to me in an email afterwards, (laughs) whatever you (laughs) want to link. Thank you so much. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on and offering your unique perspective, uh, uh, if there's like more that k- happens on Monica, i'd love to have you on for an update episode uh just like the what it, i feel like something's about to go down i don't know it's been going on for a while and i heard they just yeah. greenlit more construction again is that yeah. right
4: oh i don't know i i feel like as you do that um it's been day 92, I believe, since the Kiai have been blocking the access road and the 30 meter telescope partnership is losing so much money as uh, construction is delayed. And also the state of Hawaii as well. I think um, there was a news uh, news article that I think seven million dollars has been spent on law enforcement. Huh. Um Yes. And I'm like, we could be using this for other stuff, you know, like actually giving back to the Hawaiian people. What about healthcare? care? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The basic things, the things that actually the um, the Kiai of Mauna Kea are also standing up for. Um, but yeah, so I feel as though like in my heart, I've been telling um the student activists I'm working with here, like, I feel as though just because of the momentum of things with the 20,000 people taking to the streets last weekend, which of course didn't get uh, American national coverage, I feel as though still that we're going to win this because when it all comes down to it, the 30 Meter Telescope Partnership is really prioritizing and caring more about a building over the will of the people, and it is unethical. And they need to live up to the standards as you know, academia. Um, although there's like a long history of academia not uh, not being great, especially to Indigenous peoples. I didn't put this out there, but um, behind the Smithsonian, UC Berkeley holds the second largest collection of um, Indigenous artifacts. And um, remains, and it broke my heart when I found out that there are also Native Hawaiian bones here at UC Berkeley. And in our culture, like um, you're not supposed to disturb the bones, and we don't we don't even say where we bury them. So this is a a long history of problematic academia when it comes to respecting indigenous peoples. And I think I think this time. Um, Mauna Kea is going to win in academia and it's going to be a trickle down effect of where we're going to continuously um, hold the University of California, where I'm from, accountable to um, its wrongdoings to indigenous peoples. Okay. I don't know. I'm an optimist.
0: I was about to say <laughs> that's a very positive note, and I'm glad we could end it on that. <laughs> Thank you all for listening uh, and look in the show notes for all of the resources.
1: Um.
0: But special, I wanted to give a special thanks to our Patreons, all of the North, Anon, Bel Shakur, Shakur, I don't know, Bleak Nemesis, D-Lang, Genus Com- Comstock, Josh Edwards, Kel Bainer, Kiki Cook, Lake Phillips, Leono, Michael McNaven, Noah, Rau- R- R- Rocco, and William Scott. Uh, I know some of you are on the $5 tier, and I gave you a shout-out simply... Uh, because I didn't want to filter through everybody. <laughs> uh, but from now on, $5 tiers do not get name shout outs. Everybody else who isn't a $5 tier is going to get a name shout out until this list gets to like 25 or something. And then I'm going to say no and only do like the new names. Um, but I'd also like to thank all you amazing listeners who keep telling people about us. I get new, uh, Twitter followers and new listens every single day. And I, I, it's just nice to see uh, that many people take an interest, I guess. Uh, makes me feel like I'm doing something, like, positive. Uh, hoping from now on you'll get content every month. And we ended up rescheduling our Rev Left radio appearance until next—the uh, new year. Um So until then, thank you all for listening, and uh, I'm going to try to get a second episode out this month, so uh, hopefully that works out. Uh, Anyway, Toksha. Ka honua haumea na e Kalani, ki e ki e luna oe ke aloha ole akamali inni
4: oh, hey.
0: Ko kama la la valula me ka kūhi he waalu
3: mai puʻalu mai me ko mano kālani po ka i mai ana me na kama ka hele lani
4: ku haʻe.
2: mu muai na po ki ae inu vai awa awa He vi ole a ho kupa a ohe ho pe ho i mai ae A na iwa le no ka kou ka u koe maui keala Awe ke a e ole hakamali hini
0: Elei mau,
2: mo mau, mo ka ko wenam
0: moa mo mo ha vehi a li i vehi o ku aina we mo ho e no ka pono no si vila aho hoi ho i a mai ke kuokoa
4: Oh, ha!